It's the Muppets Minute Show with host Nick and Annie. Yay! Yay! It's time to talk about the Muppets movies minute by minute. Today we're talking about the great Muppet caper, Minute 2. Minute 2 starts with Gonzo hoping for lightning and ends with Fozzie asking what BSC stands for. And hopefully (laughs) if we did our job, Annie, we will find out what BSC stands for. Yeah, I hope so. Hope one of us did our job. <laughs> uh, all right, so let, you know, just some wisecracking, some jokes. This stuff with Gonzo is 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 absolutely hilarious. Like, still, I I you know one of the things that that I love the most about going back and rewatching these movies is I literally still laugh out loud with a lot of these jokes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it, this is one of the reasons why Gonzo's like near the top of my list. Uh, he, uh, he, he just—it's not even like he even is aware. He's—he's he's got no self-awareness. No. He just—he does what he does, and I just—I love him for it. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, when he says, "I'd like to try this without the bloom," Kermit says, "What plummeting?" I love his yeah. It's like yeah. Yeah. He's like, that sounds fantastic. You, you know, like, yeah, love it. Love it. I guess you could try it once. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I think that what's so funny about that, that Kermit line about trying it once is that it's like it actually went through his head and he considered it and he's giving him a logical answer. Well, right. I guess you could try it once, you know, like. <laughs> but he does that. And he, he, like we've seen that in, in the last movie. And, and that is his thing he does he's never like no that's dumb you know he's he's the right he he's the person we kind of wish we could all be at times like we we, we wish we could be that you know maybe that's not so great of an idea you know he like helps you work around it instead of uh right instead of just saying you're an idiot or laughing at you or it's right right such a good personality right um I don't know. I mean, people could look at this a little disturbing, too. uh, You know, it sure is tempting to jump from this balloon. But, you know, we know it's in good good nature. Yeah, I think if you if you know Gonzo, you know, that's not what is in his mind. Like he's not thinking about the the splat at the bottom. He's thinking about the flight. Right. You know, which which, you know, that's what I would uh, that's what I would call hopeful and not, you know depressing yeah and uh this kind of again we're probably gonna i don't know you know if we're gonna be doing this throughout the movie i really don't know but again here we hearken back to the first film where gonzo is just flying in balloons yeah yeah but, and he loved every minute of yeah it. exactly <laughs> and you know he did plummet there after all the balloons popped so Right. And he had a good time. So I guess he, you know, he knows he'd like it. This is even higher. <laughs> he, he goes through quite a bit in terms of um, plummeting and, and, and getting uh, rip beat up a bit. And he never seems to mind. He just loves life, yeah. you know? So then here we have like kind of the official breaking of the fourth wall again, where you know they're kind of talking about what's going on. And so they're talking about the credits appearing in the sky. Yeah. Great uh, title. Yeah. Great time. So, yeah, the Great Muppet Caper. First of all, beautiful, beautiful shot there. We got the sun behind the balloon. And yeah. Like, just like kind of when the rainbow appeared with the Muppet movie and we had a nice shot last time. We get we get this wonderful title scene. And so he says nice title. And great so, title. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit mm-hmm. about the title. I don't know if you 
found any of this uh, about the title of the film. Uh, we, we mentioned the working title was Muppet Movie 2. Uh, but they went through a lot of a lot of things. Once they got the the um, the original drafts of the film, which again we'll we'll go into more detail about that. They had a couple. Some of the writers had one title in mind. Some of the writers had another title in mind. Jim didn't really like either of them. He decided to hold a little contest, uh, and uh, so he held a little internal contest with the Muppet staff to find the best name. Uh, some this is uh, I kind of I found this in the Jim Henson biography. So some of the silly suggestions were the Rocky Muppet Picture Show. Oh geez, a Froggy Day in London. That's pretty funny. Yeah, and then he found a handwritten submission from a 19 year old Lisa Henson, his daughter, no. suggesting the Great Muppetcade. Mm. Uh, and then written in the pencil next to it, she had the words. Escapade? Question mark. Esk pig aid. Oh geez. And I love pun. I love a good pun. Yeah. I'm not even. I'm not even hating on it. But that would have been so hard to say. Esk. Yeah. No. No. I'm glad they didn't pick it. Yeah. But I love a pun. Yeah. I do. And then caper. So uh, Jim, on this note, you could see he scratched out all uh, the 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 alternatives out, circled the great Muppet Cade and the word caper, and so he was like, "That's it." That's awesome. And it was his daughter. That's yep. cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the hot air balloon sequence in the filming. So they could have done green screen, been on the ground. They could have put the, you know, had everything in the studio and just filmed the hot air balloon up, up in the air, you know, did some long shots, uh, you know. But this is Jim Henson, up. so of course they aren't. Of course not. So... They literally had had the Muppets up in a balloon. Uh, they, uh, let's see, I want to get this right. They flew Jim Henson and uh, with uh, Oz and the uh, Goals, they were in a helicopter hovering alongside the hot air balloon uh, about a thousand feet in the air, performing the characters by remote control. As a cameraman, as a cameraman dangled from the bottom of the helicopter in a contraption, rolling the camera. So wait, so so we're in the helicopter or under the helicopter? Yeah. And they are in the helicopter above us, in theory. Yeah. Controlling them with a remote. Controlling them with a remote. So what if they did drift out to sea? (laughs) 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 Who's controlling the the? There, of the balloon. There was a balloon person in the basket. Like, there oh, was like under... Oh, my God. Down. Yeah. There was an actual balloon, hot air balloon operator in the basket, yes. That's amazing because I just assumed that all three of them were cramped in there. That's what I assumed. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, I thought maybe there was some sort of visual effect or... Not visual effect, but like... um. Uh, uh, optical illusion where maybe the basket was bigger than it actually is mm. and they're like like it went back further or something but wow i did not know that that was all remote because the movement's really good yeah you know yeah wow uh he he was up there uh it, it was it was crazy so so this was uh this was filmed in um on the 8th of february 1981 uh okay. How how like it's it's like audio animatronic style like it's insanely yeah. good yeah 
sorry to interrupt, but I'm just like, wow. No, I know. Believe me, I know. Uh, but this this comes from a couple sources: the Jim Henson biography and the official Muppet Show fan club newsletter from 1981. That's amazing. Uh, so uh, this was filmed on the 8th of February 1981 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on the outskirts of uh, a city along West Mesa and Rio Rancho. Okay. So we could cool. visit this location if we ever want to. Ish. <laughs> what the sky? The sky. <laughs> <laughs> go outside and visit this location. I'm just saying, <laughs> we we had very few exact locations of right. stuff. This is well, I the... did go to the car lot. I did like <laughs> the used did. car lot. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Larry's. What was it? Oh, I, I forgot off the top of my head. Yeah. So uh, a couple of fun things about about this year. So that that's that's one. Uh, they were in the helicopter there. Um. Let's see. So if so, yeah. So they had problems, obviously, with the wind blowing. Uh, so they had the 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 wind blowing in different places. They had to wait for good wind uh, to to get these shots. Uh, sometimes um, uh, the helicopter would go above the balloon, like the balloon would come below it, and it would mm-hmm. force the hot air balloon. The balloon did crash multiple times because they're not wow. working with a lot of altitude, only a thousand feet up. That's not too too high. Well, I noticed too that there are a few times, and you wouldn't notice it because you're when you're watching the movie and you're just enjoying the dialogue. But they, like it's super far away, or it's in silhouette, and like you wouldn't need to actually be remote controlling them to get the to get the dialogue to match up. So it's almost like they they probably filmed everything and then just picked this like a music video, like picked the best looking sequences to use as close ups. Yes. you know what I mean. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, other times, Jim Jim was on the ground for uh, some of it as well, where he would uh, be uh, racing across the desert, and I guess like uh, little little buggies uh, to chase the balloon down as it came in for a landing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would they would go over to where the where the balloon was landing. Uh, they had one uh, particularly rough landing where the basket tipped over. It oh. spilled the Muppets out and badly scorched Fozzie. Oh, no. I don't want to have that image in my mind. Yeah, one of the burners. Now, the- uh, you know, it's really funny that it did happen to be Fozzie since he was like the most worried. The most worried? <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, no. And uh, so you know, they didn't have an extra Fozzie on set and they needed to do more filming. But they did have uh, one of the Muppet Builders, Amy Van Gilder, on hand to make any necessary repairs or alterations they needed to do. And uh, she was uh, she was on hand to fix up the Muppet. And we'll see this later on in the in the credits at the very end. But she has the uh, the title, the credit. Uh, Muppet Doctor. Oh. Yeah. I wonder how many they went through. I mean, I, I don't know if we'd ever know that, but... Mm, I don't know. So my assumption would be that this Gonzo, Kermit, and Fozzie were specifically built for this um, scene unless they somehow rig up the puppet with the remote control moving parts. But I'm, ass- I'm assuming they have to be some kind of specially built for this scene if you're yeah. remote controlling them. Yeah, they would have to be. But it's either way, it's very impressive. It is. I mean, we talked about some remote controlling of like Kermit's hand on the banjo. When he's doing the banjo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've had to do it in certain scenarios, but like just to do not only like an entire puppet, but three of them simultaneously and in a floating balloon. Like it's like Jim Henson has has 
exceeded the definition of ambitious at this point. It's like, where do you go from here? And then you have this insane bike sequence coming up at some point, And it's just like, oh, my gosh, is there anything that he can't do? It is literally imagination unlimited. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, now, my assumption looking at this, I, I don't know, is that their hands are kind of rigged to be attached. So they don't yeah. have to worry about them flapping around. Yeah. Uh, other than that, um, yeah, there's, there's, I, I'd love to see, see, this is, this is what I'd love to, see, you know, I'd love to see the inner workings of this. Cause I mean, I've seen the inner workings of a Disney animatronic figure, but I mean, like what, what did, what, what does this look like? What does remote controlled mean? I, you know, and I couldn't really find a, a detailed thing, but I, you know, there is yeah. not a puppeteer under those guys. They're, they're remote cool. controlled. Yeah, super cool. It, absolutely insane. I mean, and and it's funny because you said so, you know such a basic thing as a hot air balloon last minute. It's like I I actually came across the, an article, um, something from uh, Frank Oz, and he was like, people looked at the first uh, Muppet movie and they were absolutely amazed by like the bike riding scene, and he's like, that was one of the more simple scenes. You know, yeah. it was like it was. You know, they 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 did it to a millionth degree more this movie, but right, in right. that one, like it was just a marionette. Like it, honestly, like in their puppetry terms, it wasn't that difficult. But but yeah. I I think it's just because you see his his whole body. Yeah, I think that's why. But it's the simplicity that's so amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it looked overly complicated or or it just looked magical. You know right. what I mean? Right. But then he's like something like the hot air balloon where people look, oh, that's simple. You know, there's floating in a hot air balloon. He's like, no, that was insanely complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's move on to one of our uh, first, well, actually the first that uh, credit. Music and lyrics. Yeah. Joe Raposo. Yep. He did Sesame Street. He did. Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, a lot of the most famous uh, Sesame Street songs came from him. Yep, being rubber, green, du- rubber ducky, yeah, all those. yeah. The I Sesame Street theme itself. Yeah. Uh, was was it, did he do Muppet, Muppet movie? I don't remember. I don't know. He no. didn't because because it was the other team. The Williams duo, uh, and Asher. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, this one had definitely a different feel, which is cool. I mean, it's neat that they they went with a different person just to kind of give it a different feel. I like that. Yeah, and you know, someone that's that's known for working with Henson. Uh, he goes back to. Uh, uh, his first collaboration with Henson was Hey Cinderella in 1969, which he scored and wrote all the songs. And that was a TV movie like with puppets. And I think live action was in that, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, It was a TV movie. Uh, he uh, but His thing, I don't know. So do you know a little bit about him? I mean, he's pretty fascinating. Uh, I don't really know a whole lot. I mean, just I know the name and I know some of the songs because I grew up with them. But that's that, you know, that's kind of the extent. So he wanted to not only like he was he was into all this, but he wanted to like literally change the way we look at music, change the way children are taught music, change the way like we we think and grow up with music. Uh, he, yeah. Uh, in, in this, uh, in what I found here, he it was said that through his work on Sesame Street, he deliberately set out to cross the forced boundaries between pop music 
and children's songs. Uh, so I do want to read this little, little blurb here. Uh, some educators have complained that the music on Sesame Street is too sophisticated for little ears, that we should curb the spontaneity of blues and rock and instead teach the children Merry Little Lamb. But what most educators don't realize is that the lamb left the nursery the day they brought the TV set in. Children are now exposed to and learn to love every conceivable style of music. And the beauty of our music is maybe that the child in the home is hearing gospel and blues for the first time. And the child in the urban ghetto is hearing the harpsichord for the first time. Someday when they grow up, they'll have one more thing in common. Wow. So he looked at this as this like grand mission that he was on to bring culture and music into the households at an early age. That's great. Yeah. Seems like they picked the right guy. Yeah. So he basically worked for um, uh, about f- till 1974 on uh, Sesame Street so for five seasons. Um, he returned back in the 80s and did some uh, more collaborations with Henson. Um, he also went on to do like other things. He did the Three's Company theme song. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he did, uh, he worked on an Academy Award winning drama called Nashville that Lily Tomlin and Cloris Leachman were in. Um, mm. but then uh, for- you loved Lily Tomlin. Yeah. For. <laughs> 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 uh let's see what else for this uh for this film though uh he was nominated in 1982 for an academy award for best original song for the first time it happens he lost oh. to arthur's theme the best that you can do by burt Bacharach and christopher cross uh from the movie arthur which i i love that one um yeah i remember that one dudley moore uh fun comedy and i was like i but they couldn't place this song for some reason and then i played on youtube and yes i I definitely know that song it's heard it a billion times and yeah i would probably pick that one over this one if i was well it's not as um quite a robbery as what was it the um oh that weird rainbow connection losing to the 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 song song from yeah, the, what was the Sally? There was the Sally Field movie, right? Uh, From uh, Norma Ray or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel as painful as that one did. But anyway, uh, now this uh, this was the only one of the first three Muppet films not to be nominated for best music or best original score. Oh, so it was just for best original song. Okay, well, you know. And they thought it was a little bit of a disappointment that the film never got uh, uh, nominated for special effects. Yeah, I mean, and we'll we'll have to see throughout the the, the movie how we feel about that. A lot yeah. of people I've talked to this like this is their favorite of the three. Yeah, this movie. Yeah, um, same. A lot of people. Is it, um, oh, it's not yours, but no, it's, it's not uh, mine. A lot of people I've talked to have said that. Yeah. So. Uh, so uh, the other thing I found, and this was uh, from Jim Henson's biography, uh, Jim had chosen to give uh, Raposo a prominent on-screen credit with music and lyrics by Joe Raposo, uh, pairing by itself immediately following the film's title card. Wow. Uh, he knew, uh, Raposo knew nothing of the credit until he watched the movie in a theater and was nearly moved to tears by the gesture. Oh, I was wondering, it is a strange thing to put it first. I know. I mean, I, w- I thought that when we, when I was watching it. So, yeah, oh, that's nice. So I'll probably just, I, I won't read all this, but like uh, after 
the uh, the premiere, uh, Raposo wrote a letter to Jim Henson, and we there there is a copy of the two page letter they wrote Henson online uh, online, and we will post it put it up on our Facebook page and stuff. It's uh, I found it over at the uh, again the Jim Henson's Red Book online, which has a wealth of information. Right. Uh, he basically says. Uh, in there, I'll read a couple parts. What I am left with mostly is a very warm and fulfilling sense of gratitude. I am grateful that you asked me to do the film. I'm grateful that the process of putting it together was so joyful. And more than anything else, I'm grateful that the work I did has pleased you and the others connected with the film. Uh, so, you know, it was really, really touching him. He said, Jim, working with you has always been one of my most completely rewarding experiences in my life. And I do not mean in a merely professional way. So, you know, it's interesting, like he is definitely one of those guys that it seems like people do this for him. Mm -hmm. Like you want to make you want to make him happy Um, and not like in a not like in a fear based way in a I really want to make this something he would be proud of. Yeah. Which is I mean, I can't think of a better, um, you know, I want to say leader, but like a better quality for like a um, a creative leader to have is to inspire that in the people working under you. I and mean, that's pretty amazing. Which is why to this day, Austin Pendleton's uh, interview about how horrible the set was. He was Max on the Muppet movie. Yeah. And it still boggles my mind. Yeah. He just had some beef, I guess. I think that he's just got issues. <laughs> it's cle- clearly, there. I mean, there's a common denominator going on here, and he's not part of it. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, mm. I, I don't know. I just, That's a one-off. It's a fluke, I think. Yeah. So then we have choreographer Anita Mann. Uh, she, pretty prominent choreographer. Uh, Henson knew that he was going to do this. He wanted uh, an actual high-quality musical. He wanted big musical numbers. Uh, you know, that was that was his thing for this film. And he didn't want it to he didn't want to go on the cheap. So I mean he got one of the best choreographers out there at the time. Uh so Anita Mann, well regarded, uh worked in on Elvis movies, uh, choreographed uh, various various movies around Hollywood, also did music videos for Dolly Parton and Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, I saw that. Can't be more opposite than that, right? Uh, so she began actually working with the Muppets in 1979. She did the Muppets Go Hollywood. She actually received an Emmy nomination for that. Uh, then of course, uh, this, she also did, uh, some Miss Piggy stuff, including the fantastic Miss Piggy show, which was a television special. Uh, and, uh, then did some Sesame Street stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, so she has a, a lot, lot lot going on for her there. And um, this was one of those funny things because she, he, Henson actually hired uh, Joe Raposo. Now, obviously, he had already worked with both of them by this time and Anita Mann, but he tapped them both to do this film uh, before the script was even done. So he was. He actually had uh, Raposo start writing uh, some lyrics before the film was even done, just based on the idea of the film. Ah, so. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have production designer Harry Lange. Probably Lang. Lang. Maybe? Sure. I don't know. I'll go with Lang. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I just think of Jessica Lang. Which oh, is, is that how you spell her, Lang? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I'm making that more difficult than it should be. It doesn't matter. I'm sure it matters to him, but I, he's probably not listening to this. So, Nope, he's definitely not <laughs> as of 10 years ago. 
Okay, there we go. Uh, so he has, he has a, quite a credit, uh, big credits. I know. Uh, this this guy he fought in Korea. He did some uh, U.S. military illustrating flying manuals. Uh, he worked for NASA. And then he met. Well, I met his film credits, but I didn't know any well, of that. Well, I know, but he just has an interesting career, which led yeah. him to what the films he was doing. Because then he met Arthur C. Clarke, who introduced him to Stanley Kubrick, and then right. he worked on 2001: Space Odyssey. Yeah. So that was his big thing. Uh, nominated for Academy Award for Best Art Direction, and uh, then he went on to do a lot of other things: Superman two and the first three Star Wars films. Which I'm sure that's what you kind of stumbled upon there, right? Yeah, and yeah, and uh, a James Bond film too, right? Uh, Moonraker, Moonraker, yeah, yeah, Moonraker. Which I mean, these are all kind of along the same theme, like you said, NASA and and, and space travel and stuff like that. So that kind of makes sense, right? Which it's cool. and then and then, yeah, he has all that stuff. And I mean, not to downplay this stuff because it's still great stuff. It's just so different. They did Muppet Caver, Dark Crystal, and some Monty Python stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw Monty Python, Meaning of Life, which is actually one of my favorite movies, yeah. which, which I kind of geeked out a little bit about that. So that was awesome. Yeah. It just seems so yeah. different than that other stuff. Yeah. It, it, but I like when you see that, like, oh, I'm going to branch out. I want to do something a little different. I'm tired of this space stuff. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool. I like it. And uh, then you have Ralph... Kemplin as editor and he was a noted British film editor and uh, so Henson got him on board Um, for Dark Crystal also for Dark Crystal also as well as the next um, person on the list the director of photography Oswald Morris Uh, now so this is this is what I mean there was definitely a running theme here of getting people that are working on all the, the both films at the same time or, you know, in the same general span of time. So it's kind of like, let's get these people working together on these two films. And hopefully the one that we're pretty sure about the Muppet, you know, Muppet movie too. Great Muppet caper. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're pretty confident about that. This other one we're working on, eh, you know, it's it's out there for us. It's a new thing. And so they, right. wanted, they wanted to kind of have these teams that were kind of working together already. Uh, to be able to go in and, and take care of the Dark Crystal as well. So yeah, it was a ru- it was definitely a running theme. Now, are you going to tell us what BSC stands for? I I am, I okay. am. Where'd it go? Oh, there it is, <laughs> British Society of Cinematographers. Oh well, because I know out here there it's a different name, right, or a different acronym, I should say, because it's you know not british maybe it's oh. asc out here i don't know there's definitely maybe an they, asc yeah and i know editors often have the the initials after their names too yeah which i i don't ever i can't remember what they mean but it means something they all have it it's yeah. like a little club i feel like they're all in some sort of strange fraternity or something i don't know <laughs> well, they definitely are <laughs> but i love that like that fozzy is it fozzy that asks yeah like i love that he calls it out because it's like again re- relating them to us like that's what we're all thinking mm-hmm. and he's gonna say it so it was just it's just a nice little moment um, right up top here that gets you related. You know, rel- the characters relatable right right away. And yeah. I love how they don't answer it either. I lo- I'm glad Kermit doesn't know because yeah, be no, he wouldn't know. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love it. I don't know. 
And then that's it. <laughs> because that's exactly what you what you would think while you're watching the credits. What does that stand for? I don't know. And then you just move on. Well, 30 some odd years later, someone might do a podcast and talk about it for a few minutes. Right. And then once Google was invented, nobody ever had to do that again. Exactly. So I, I miss, I long for the days when I didn't know things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you would just watch and you'd be like, You'd be like, where, did, where have I seen that guy before? Eh, oh, well. <laughs> and then you would never think about it again, or it would torment you for like a week until yeah. you finally oh, thought of it. I know. I don't want to go know, back there. Those days, they were pretty torturous, actually. Well, I mean, know. it's like when you don't have signal, when you're out and you need an answer to a question and you don't have cell signal. Right. It's harder now when you know the answer is at your fingertips. Yeah. And you can't get it. <laughs> I remember... Going home and pulling out the Encyclopedia Britannica set oh, that was geez. on my shelf. Yeah, I Oof. remember those. I remember those. Yeah. I think I think we had World Book. I love how my parents like you know spent all this money on that, and then when we got a computer that had like you know databases and digital encyclopedias and stuff, you know the very basic stuff at the time, like. M- my parents still wanted me to go to the books. They they were like, no, no, don't don't rely on on that. We bought you all these books. Go look it up right. in the book. And I'm like, well, they could just type it in here. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why would they go to the I, book? I, I often wonder how different school is for kids now with yeah. all of this stuff because I just remember having to do all of that. I know. Well, now we're kind of getting off topic a little bit, but um, you know, the 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 feeling is the same. You know, it was a different time. It was a different era. We wouldn't know what BSC stood for back then. We would all just sit there in the theater and be like, hmm. uh, but luckily we have you and Google to fu- to figure it out. And like, really, where would you even look that up back then? No, you couldn't. Like, you would have to like find a cinematographer and ask them, "What does that mean?" <laughs> That's literally what you would have to do. Like, I don't, I can't think of any other way that you would know. Yeah. So it's almost kind of cruel that they didn't tell us. Yeah, in a way. Any, anyway. Um, so anyway, um, the, the, everyone here was really excited. We have, uh, so Oswald Morris, BSC, he, um, he actually came out of retirement to do this film. Uh, Henson hmm. pulled him out of retirement and it was the, this and, uh, Dark Crystal were his last two films. Right. And, uh, same with, uh, uh, Ralph. was it Ralph? Which yeah. I think those were his last two Temple. films too. Yeah. 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 They were. And, uh, so uh, he started working on this, um, and Jim was really excited to to meet uh, to to get these guys on board. Actually, and his uh, he has a specific diary entry saying, "Met Ralph Kemplin, love him." And, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So he found his editor, he put them together, and basically what he said. Um, it said, given that Jim saw the Dark Crystal as a major breakthrough and knew it would be a complicated shoot, he was eager to have collaborators in place to already learn to work together. Um, by making the two-picture deal with uh, these guys, uh, Jim was able to use Caper as a chance for them to get to know his performers and production people and for the group to find a rhythm. Nice. And then uh, we have uh, one other one other credit here, Martin Starger, which uh, we, who was on the... Last film as well, he, he executive produced the Muppet movie, and uh, this is the second of three Muppet uh, products that he would. Uh, I was going to say it sounded produce. familiar. Yeah, so he was executive producer on the Muppet movie. He will also be the uh, EP on the the Muppets Go to Hollywood. Hmm. So, but we talked a bit about him last uh, last movie. So go look at like minute, f- I don't know, four or five from the Muppet movie if you're yeah. really interested on in Martin Starger. 
Which we know you all are. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, anything else uh, from minute two? Uh, I did want to point out the line where um, Gonzo's still wanting to jump off the edge of the balloon and, and Kermit says, don't try it, Gonzo. We need you for this movie. <laughs> right. Because it's like, you know, we know Kermit cares about him. But again, he's appealing to his logical brain. Yeah. Like, you can't do that because we need you for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> It's just very straightforward. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so the uh, the balloon is uh, floating around in the sky, and we will find out what happens to that balloon tomorrow in minute three. But uh, that's it for minute two of the Muppet Minute. Why don't you go over to uh, MuppetMinute.com. And it's Muppets Minute. Muppets Minute with an S. You're right. Good call there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's Muppets Minute on Facebook. It's Muppets Minute on Twitter, and we'll uh, we'll have uh, some stuff out there for you guys to check out. Uh, so uh, join us tomorrow for minute three of Muppets Minute. Bye bye.